So, welcome to Elevate. We meet every Thursday at 2 o'clock. I mean, I mean, we meet every Friday at 7 p.m., right? I'm Joseph. I'm the youth director here. And we have a special guest. This right here is Tina. Give a hand for Tina. If you know her, you know her. So, just to give you a little background, Tina is a deacon in our church. She is a graduate of SUM. She is going to get her master's. Uh, she is, she is uh, leading, really helping lead with Susie, Pastor Susie, King's Kids on Wednesday. She is an awesome woman of God. When I first came to church, when I was 16 years old, uh, quick testimony, what I noticed about her was she was on her knees screaming out to God. That was my first and er uh, oldest memory of Tina. So that's the type of woman that is speaking before you today. So everyone just give her respect. She's a woman of God. She is also a sister in Christ. So respect her as your deacon and respect her as a person. She's about to give her testimony of how she encountered the love of God, right? So everybody make some noise. Amen. Thank you so much for that awesome introduction. I am so happy to be here to share this awesome word with you because it's so strong to me. Um, when I encountered the love of God, okay, I needed the love of God to live. I was near death. And I'm going to tell you how I got there, but I want you to think about that as I speak to you today, okay? And this is a word that I want you to keep in your mind as I go through my life, my lifeline of love, of what love was to me. God's beginning started at my end. God's beginning started at my end. And I want you to just think about that as I'm speaking to you about my love versus God's love. See, I thought love was doing what everyone asked me to do in every situation with my parents, my siblings, my friends, eventually my boyfriends. If they asked me to move, I'd move. If they asked me to jump, I'd ask how high. If they'd asked me to go here or there, I was doing it because if I did what they wanted me to do, I believed that I would in response get love. And I did not get love, so I was very disappointed often, a lot of times. I was brokenhearted, I was let down, and I was disappointed, and most of all, I was ashamed. I felt unworthy, unwanted, and totally empty, totally empty. I don't know if some of you are there now or will be there one day, and I hope you don't, because the feeling of being totally empty is a very scary and very dark place. A place where you think you could never get out of it, where you think the only way out is to die, is to stop breathing, is to black out and leave the moment of emptiness, of darkness, because that's the only thing that you believe will help you to not feel it. But that is a lie. That is an honest lie. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I would mostly feel all of this for myself, for not being able to get the response from others I needed. I needed to feel loved. From the very beginning of my life, of the time in my mother's womb, I was hated. How I know this? Because my mom tells me the stories. She told me one or two, right? I'm sure she don't want to tell me the rest. 
But the one story that always stuck with me all my life was this, that the day before or the two days before I was to be born, my father beat her and kicked her in between her legs, eight months pregnant, and kicked her in between her legs and locked her in a bathroom and said, go ahead and have your baby. That's not my child anyway. So before I was even known to be in the womb, I was hated already in this world. At five years old, that same father abused me. He sexually abused me. Something that I didn't know, I was five years old. I didn't know what it was, I didn't know what to think, I didn't know anything, I just was like, my daddy loves me. For four years, I lived in that abuse. My mom had no clue, my mom worked two jobs, overnights, throughout the day, it, it was just, she just didn't know. I didn't know what to do. Until one day we exposed him and he went to jail. And that was, you know, what happened then. Um, but even in that, when we were ready to press charges, a relative came and said, why don't you recant your story? Why don't you tell them it was all a lie? And because I loved this relative so much and I didn't want them to hate me, I recanted my story. And I said, nope, I lied. My daddy didn't do that to me. Nope, I lied. And the detectives and the doctors, they said, nope, the proof is there. We have the tests. You gave us specific details for your age, whatnot. The man ended up staying in jail. He came out early. But still, the father who was supposed to come and protect me and lead me right in this life hurt me from the very moment I was in my mother's womb. Okay? So all that to say, where, was I where did I learn love? How could I learn love? Can you learn love through so much hate? You cannot. So I had to figure that out on my own. So as I went on with my life, obviously, you know, I, I just loved people. I loved everyone. And I didn't care what they did. I made excuses for them. I forgave them. I looked over their offenses. And the worst of all was that sexual abuse. And I didn't care. And I thought, you know what? That's enough. If I look, overlook what they're doing to me, I'll be okay. That wasn't a true statement either, right? So there were so many things I said I wouldn't do. As I moved on and lived my life, right, I, I turned to the neighborhood kids and, you know, they started filling in that little space that was empty inside of me. And we started hanging out and doing all types of things. It was innocent stuff. It wasn't crazy stuff. But then six months later, it started becoming to, hey, here's some marijuana. Why don't we try it? Sure, why not? My mom works three jobs now. She's always never home. I I'm, I'm, don't even have food to eat. I'm eating around the corner, you know, like. At my friend's house, they're feeding me now. And not that my mom wanted to. My mom had to work to help us survive, to keep us alive, right? So I started exploring with drugs and all that. But this, you know, that whole time in my life as a teenager was just seeking and looking for that love, looking for that exception, um, for being accepted. So I started, you know, I, I would say things like, I won't have sex till I'm married. I won't join gangs. I won't do drugs. I won't smoke cigarettes. I won't, you know... You be a fighter, I'll be a good kid. I'm going to go and be a woman's advocate because I'm so tired of seeing people get beat up. My father beat my mother for 18 years. You know, my sisters, I seen them get beat up. Just a lot of abuse, right? You just see all this stuff beating up. Like my sister being uh, uh, choked in the alley by her boyfriend and knocked out. Like I'm like, what is, hap you know, what is happening right now? Running home, trying to get a bat so I can hit him in the head with the bat. You know, like these are the kind of things that I experienced as a kid. So here, in all of that that I've said, can you see love anywhere? There isn't any love there. 
So how was a young girl like me at that time supposed to find love? I had to find it for myself. So I would say, um, so I basically, all of that led me to just different things. I ended up doing, uh, being in a gang. I ended up selling drugs down the street. I ended up, um, what do you call it, um, just being a violent girl. I mean, I would fight anybody and anyone at any time, especially because I knew guys would like beat up girls. So I was like, you ain't gonna touch me. <laughs> yeah, okay, you touch me, I'm gonna hit you in the head with a pat, with a pat, with a pat, a pan, or like something, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna stay hit. But again, you know, that wasn't true. I ended up going down that area through all those things. So I, seeking for love, ended up giving myself my purity, who I was as an innocent girl to some dude that I just ended up being with. I was drunk because that's the only way I could numb away everything that I was doing. I was 15 years old. It was a Christmas party. My father, in fact, had abused me again. And I went to this Christmas party. I got drunk. And I ended up being with this guy. And that's where I lost my purity. And I was like, well, if my dad don't respect me, what am I? I'm just an object, right? I'm not worth anything anymore. You know, I'm just a piece of meat is what I would say. I'm just some object. And that's not what, it's, not what it is, right? So um, my idea of love took me down some very hurtful and dark paths that only led to darker paths. I was looking for acceptance and the love in all the wrong places. My mom didn't love me. She was too busy with her boyfriend. So I thought, you know, my mom's got a boyfriend now. I'm already 12 years old. I'm doing my own thing. My mom doesn't care. She's doing her thing with her boyfriend. She's got a new family with him. My sisters were doing their own things. They, they don't love me anymore. They're not around. They only want me when they need me to babysit because, you know, I was 13, a teenager, and they were 18, and they needed to go to the club. So I was old enough to babysit. So let me just babysit. And that's how me saying yes to them is how I would find those, those things. So... Um, my brother was lost in the streets. My sister was also, the other one was also getting beat up. So I started experimenting with drinking and all those things, just finding love in, in, with my friends out, out on the streets. So then I found this, um, at 13 years old, I fell in love with this guy that I met. And I actually found him and met him as he was abusing his girlfriend. He was having her on a chokehold against the fence. And I went over there and was like, what are you doing? Leave that girl alone. Why are you hitting her? This and that. Four weeks later, I'm sitting here kissing the same guy. And then, you know, in the future, I would end up having his, his child. And before, you know, before that, I would have a miscarriage with this guy. So this love that I was looking for, this, that this man could give me, the sweet talk that he gave me, the, oh, I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about a thing. All of that for me was like, man, this is the first time I've ever heard someone say they're going to take care of me. It's the first time I've heard someone say they're going to love me. It's the first time I've heard someone actually think about me more than not, you know. So here I am with this guy and then only to for, you know, later on, for him to end up be getting locked up. He went to jail for 34 years. He's still there to this day. So my Prince Charming, this man that I thought was my whole world, this, thought, this man that I thought he's going to, you know, I'm going to marry him and have six kids. That was my whole idea. I'm going to marry someone, I'm going to have six kids, and I'm going to raise my kids better than my mama ever raised me, better than my daddy ever raised me. I'm going to do it better. But in all honesty, how can you do it better if you never knew the real thing. If all you knew was abuse from the moment you started, how can you possibly do it better, right? So as I go on, um, I had already a miscarriage. I already had my, my first child. 
And then, you know, I, I met this other man, and um, this was my third child. I met this guy who I wanted to fulfill the love that the first guy did not give me. And I got pregnant. My daughter was barely a year old, and I got pregnant from this guy. And my idea of love murdered that pregnancy, murdered that child. Abortion is the first thing that came to mind because I had no money. I was homeless with a one-year-old child. I was living with my sister, but it was like, you can't bring another child in this house, so you either have to move or do something about it. I had no choice. So my idea of love cost the life of a human being. And I'm going to tell you about this time when I went into this place to take this child's life. I didn't want to do it, but I didn't know anything else to do. I didn't have support from mom because mom was busy with her family, right? New family, new friends, all these things. My sister was too busy trying to help, you know, have me babysit so she can go out and do her thing. And she was a hard worker. Don't get me wrong. This is a good, awesome woman, you know. Then I have my other sister who's not even in the picture. I had no one. And I had this man telling me, I don't want that child. I'm too young to have a kid. You better kill that baby. Here, I'll give you half the money. Go take him out. Don't you have the medical card? Don't they pay for this? So I took myself to this abortion clinic, and I said to them, I'm going to terminate this pregnancy. And they said, okay, well, do you want, you know, medication so you don't feel the pain? And I said, no, I want to feel every single part of this process so I never in my life come back here and do this again. I thought I was being cool and brave by doing that, guys. Let me tell you something. That was not the best choice. And I don't doubt that it was a reason for it. Because as I sat on that table to terminate this child's life, I heard what sounded like a vacuum cleaner sucking out this baby from inside my womb. I could hear the bones of this child going into this vacuum cleaner as when you go vacuum the carpet and you hear the debris going in there, that's how it sounded. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, what am I doing? God, forgive me. Please, God, forgive me. I don't want to kill my child. It's already too late. God, forgive me for murdering my child. And I started screaming, run. If you can hear me, run. Run out of this place. Don't kill your baby. You still have a chance if you haven't come in here. Go. The pain that I felt from that abortion was not in my physical body. I didn't need the anesthesia. The pain that I felt from killing my baby from inside my womb came from my soul. From my soul. It was a cry of agony. It was a cry of saying, God have mercy on me for murdering my child. And so I asked God to punish me and to never give me another child. You know, I thought I can do that. Like, hey, God, you know. I messed up, just don't give me another kid, we're good. No, it's not the way it worked. It's not the way it works. So the idea is, that's where my love took me. So not only that that same month, my daughter's father, who was supposed to be my Prince Charming, my Romeo, was gone forever. My daughter, not to have that father in her life for 30 plus years, but I now have murdered a child. I was depressed. 
I was done. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anywhere to, how to take care of my daughter. And so what did I do? My idea of love. If I do for others, they'll love me, right? I went and married someone so that I could fix his papers, so that I can get money to take care of my daughter. That backfired. It didn't work. I didn't get money, and all I got was a stalker and somebody who wanted to really be my husband, and I said no, and it just was not a good idea. But the choice I made was based on, man, I got to do more. I got to do this. I got to love. You know, I got to get this so I can get this back, so I can show that I love my daughter by supporting her, by taking care of her. So from there, I met this other man. See, girls, ladies, you don't have to go through many men. You just got to go through Jesus. That'll come at the end, but I just want to clarify that because, man, there's a lot of men, okay, that could come into your life and tell you sweet nothings, and they don't mean anything. They don't mean anything by it. So... Now we're, um, I led, it led me to depression, and I met this guy, and he's going to rescue me from all of my troubles. He's going to take me away from where I was and all these things. And with this man, in my depression, I didn't even care anymore. At this point, I didn't care anymore. And so I started doing drugs. I've been doing drugs before. Like, I smoked weed, and I did all those things. But this time, my round with drugs was terrible. I got so addicted to drugs that I couldn't function. I couldn't be outside past 9 o'clock because I had to be inside doing drugs till 6 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't get up early enough to take my daughter to school because I was too busy getting high the night before that I was tired. And so my son's father, which at that time he wasn't even born, would take her to school for me. And so um, this drug addiction had captivated me so much that I just ended up being just lost in what I was doing. Um, just shut down. I was, I was, but it, it just felt so good because I was numb. I was numb to the way that I felt. I was numb to all the pain that had been brought to me. I was numb to all the rejection I had received from my parents, from my sisters, from my siblings, from my friends, from anyone around me. I shut everybody out and all I did was cocaine day in and day out. I smoked cigarettes that I couldn't smoke no more. And I just, you know, lived that life. And the ones that suffered the most were my children, were my daughter and my, daughter and my son. So later on when my son came about, you know, I call him a miracle child because, of, you know, I aborted that one child. And I said, hey, God, don't ever give me kids. Well, he gave me my son. And uh, all of these, you know, things to say this. Sorry. Just give me one second here. All of these things to say this, I was, uh, through my drug addiction, through all my struggles, through the way that my idea of love, it led me to hurt people, my idea of love, even though it was me doing things for others and expecting that love in return, my idea of love hurt people, my idea of love um, destroyed, killed the life, right? It destroyed lives that I had to repair, that I needed God to help me repair. So on this day, it's already fast forward, so many years forward, my son's already two years old, and I'm sick and tired of my life, and I'm so ready to be dead. Like, I'm literally begging God, and I said, God, I come to you, and I ask, I was like, God, I need to die, I just want to die, and I, I don't want to live anymore. If you put me on this earth so that I can um, 
so that I can be this messed up, this jacked up, raising up my kids, terribly treating them like garbage. Like, my kids would get yelled at every morning just because I woke up late to go to work. Like, it was just some really terrible things that happened. And um, so I said, God, I hate my life. I just want you to take my life, kill me, and that's it. Make it all better. Give my kids soft to somebody else who will raise them up, right, and train them up to do something better, right, not to live like me. On January 7th, God answered my prayer. He literally killed Tina, and I was um, the Tina that I was, and he gave Albertina a new life. I met Jesus for the first time ever and understood all the preaching I had been hearing for two months because I had already been coming to church, and I already had, you know, been introduced to God, but I was here just coming. I wasn't really hearing the word. I was just here coming, but that was enough because on that day was the day that I met love for the first time. I met love in a way that I can't even explain it to you in words. I met love that made every single transgression that was brought against me and made it right, made it peaceful. My father, I called him, and I, well, I sent him a message, and I said, hey, dad, I forgive you for what you did to me. Not once, but twice. I forgive you for what you did to me. I call my mom. Hey, mom, I forgive you for what you did to me. I call my son's father. I forgive you for what you did to me. I call my daughter's father. I forgive you for what you did to me. I forgive you, and not only did I ask, I forgave them, I said, can you forgive me for what I did to you? Can you forgive me for who I was, the angry monster you had to deal with through in and out? And so the scriptures that came to, to, to my heart once, you know, I, I dug through the scriptures is, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's in Romans 6, 6. And in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, um, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. For 28 years, I was empty. I was in a dark place. I felt nothing. Everything that I tried to do to earn the love that I wanted to earn was leading me empty and empty and empty. It was empty. And by the time I came to Christ and I submitted that prayer, it was the last bit of myself that I had in me. And when that's when me, when I ended, that's when God began. That's when God began his life. And today, eight years later, I can stand here saying that as a high school dropout, I am now a college graduate working on my master's degree. I've been eight years focusing on my family and my children and, leaving, and, and focusing on my relationship with God and God alone and his love for me. And his love has penetrated through my family into my children, even the, child, the daughter I've adopted. Amen. Through my son. And it, his, his love has really come and showed itself to be exactly what he said it was going to be. I've lived more years in, in, I don't know if I could say, like in the spiritual realm, more in eight years of my life than I have in 28 years of my life without Christ. I have lived to the fullest right now. I've experienced many losses, and I've experienced many challenges, people rejecting me. My mother telling me, don't invite me to your church one more time. Don't you tell me about hell one more time. And I was like, I will tell you again and again as long as I can until you get it. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Then I'll talk to you in six months. But I'm still going to come back and we're still going to go at it. Friends left me. My friends have left me today. And they will call me and tell me, I can't believe you're serving that God. Why do you serve that God? That God hates others. And, this, and it's not that, you know. 
His love has proven to be life for me. And his love is proof that it, is, it will prove to you that it is life to you. If like Joe was saying earlier, you open up. Joseph was saying earlier, you open up your ears and you open up your minds. Let God saturate your heart with his love. Die to yourself. Empty yourself out of yourself and allow God to overflow within you with his love. And just let him see. Just, just see what he will do in your life as you allow his love to come and transform your relationship with your mom. Transform your relationships in school. Transform your relationship with God. Most, for the, the most important one is God. Transform your relationship with him. Because if you put God at the center of all your life, everything else is going to be added onto you. Everything else is going to rise up from there. And love, you'll never see it the same. And when someone else comes to you and tries to give you this generic love or this idea of love, you're going to be able to say, no, no, no. Let me tell you about the love. I know. So that's all I got for y'all. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, here, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody, close your eyes. And if you're not closing your eyes, I'm going to tell you. No, I'm kidding. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, your word says that you loved us so much. That you loved us so much that you gave us your one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Father, I pray that every single heart in this room would be open to your word. Would it be open to the preaching that is coming forth. We'll take whatever was from you from that testimony, Lord. Whatever tugged in their heart, oh God. And that they would sit in it, that they would meditate on it, Lord, that they would reflect on it day in and day out, Lord, until they come to meet you the way you met me on January 7th of 2011, Lord, that they wouldn't have to walk the grounds I want. I want. Like abortion, some of these things that you've gone through, uh, chasing men and being left dry, uh, all these things. If you feel like you can relate to that, she is willing and ready to talk. She has testimony after testimony of uh, just God just working things out in her life and then changing her. Uh, if I could share maybe the last thing you went through and how, like, how brave you were. It's the last thing, you know. Yeah, is that is that cool? Yeah, she literally, how long has it been since you've been, you've been off? <sighs> praise God, praise God. Amen. Amen. One year cancer free. Amen. Praise God. And and during the whole time she was she was not depressed. She was not contemplating suicide. And I'm pretty sure there was lots of lots of attacks by the enemy just coming at you, but she was focused on the love of God. So God is so good. It, it, I mean that was the first time I really heard her testimony. Like like that, and I was blown away just by the glory of God. You see a lot of you guys just look at leaders, and you're like, oh, look at them. Well, holier than thou, looking like people, you know, just walking away like you guys are, have your head up in, your, in, the, in the sky, your nose up there, thinking you're all that. But no, I mean, Tina is just a trophy of grace. Uh, Ashley Bolden, a, a trophy of grace. Karina, a trophy of grace. Oscar, TJ, uh, the youth that are here today that have been saved. Melanie, J uh, Jason, Jeremiah. It, these are not people that are just so awesome, but it just points that God is so awesome, and he's able to change anybody. Amen? So...
this is obviously a new sermon series, and this is different than what we did last week, right? Last week was January. Everybody survived uh, the polar vortex. Everybody survived? Anybody still got all their toes? I'm talking, if you didn't have a toe, you didn't have all your toes before that, I'm talking about, did you lose it during? No, I'm kidding. Did you, like, for real, man, it was, it was pretty cold, man. I was, I was in the, I was in the house. I was, like, in my blanket. I was like, no, I'm kidding. I had heat, so I was straight. But, um, but we all, we all know it was cold, but for the month of February, anybody know the holiday that's coming up in February? I think it's February 13th, 14th. I should know that. Gosh. Okay. Joseph, what is the... What is what is the what is the date? Valentine's Day. Everybody, everybody's gonna be like, let me get my oh yeah. Some of us a little saucy, some of us a little mad, some of us a little happy, some of us you know bays on the way, eh? Right? But but here's the thing, no, on a month where we we talk about God's love, we're gonna we're, when a month we talk about love and uh you know all this mushy, you know, romantic comedy type stuff, let's focus on real love and and that's that's the love of God. So this month, we're going to be having sermon series, four sermon series. And the last one, we're going to have a purity ceremony. Who was here last year for the purity ceremony? Yeah, make some noise. Make some noise. Amen. Amen. So, so this is a big thing. Uh, and basically, what we're learning is about purity and love and what it actually means according to the Bible. And today, we're going to be just starting off with a clear foundation of what love is, obviously, right there in nice little lettering. Love is. I don't know if you can see it because I'm in the way, but love is. True love waits, and today, we're going to be talking about lo- what love is. So, <clears throat> if I could have 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7 up, if you guys can read along, if you got your Bible, you can read along. If you got your phones and you got bad vision, you can't see that, feel free to look at your phones. But Here's, this is Paul speaking. He, he, he's talking in this chapter. He's talking about like what people got gifts in. How many people got gifts in here? How many people can play the drums? If we had Gio here, he'd be right there. Yeah, I'd let him come up there. But we got Lawrence. How many people can sing? Yeah, some of us have gifts. Paul speaking about spiritual gifts, and he's talking about. Uh, just how people are kind of using them wrong, how people are boasting themselves. And he goes on to give us what it really means to be spiritual. And he goes on to say, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trust, always loves, always hopes, always perseveres. So, and then the next verse says, love never fails. That's in 1A. If you can actually get verse 8 up there, so we can go back to that. But these, this is what the Bible says love is. And there's some things that I want to clear real quick. There are misconceptions, weird thoughts about love, right? How many of you believe love is a feeling? How many of you believe love is a feeling? 
man, it's okay. Don't be ashamed. How many of you feel like you can fall in and out of love? Yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us think that like, like you're walking, you're in love. All of a sudden, you're just like, oh, gosh. I'm out of love, you know, like it just happens, right? Like I woke up, looked at my wife, and said, hey, I ain't love you no more, baby. We're getting divorced on Sunday. Just oopsie-doopsie, you know, I just fell out of love. And some of us think we can fall in love, right? We can just be like walking, and then, you know, we're just seeing some random person, and then we just fall into their arms, and then we look at them like, oh, my gosh, I fell in love with you, right? We, we honestly believe that's how it works, and that's what happens when you think love is just a feeling, right? Like, I, how do you love this person? I, I talked to some of you there. Some of you, you, I'm like, how do you know you love this person? Well, uh, you know, I just feel it. Just feel it. I'm just feeling love, man. I'm in love. How, how do you know? Well, it's just here. I know here. I know here. It's right here, right? And then some of us think you can love things but not people. There's a little joke because I just see like, people always talking about, I, like, I have this one kid at my job. He's like, I love dogs more than people. And I just look at him. I'm like, what? And some of us feel almost the same way at times. You know, we look at, we look at Snuggles and we're like, man, Snuggles, you've never done me wrong at all. I love you so much. And and then some of us, I'm guilty of this, we think we can love food. And, you know, you just look at them ribs, right? Really nice, barbecue, man, just six bones, right, with meat between them wrapped around. You're just like, man, I love you. But you eat the food. You can't love the food. Then we love things. Uh, we love our phones, right? We love our video games. Some of us love Fortnite. We get to Fortnite, and we're just like, man, babe, I've missed you so much. Your mom's like, who are you talking to? Nothing, just Fortnite. And, you know, we think that's what love is, right? So I just threw that there. But then on a real note, some of us think love is about yourself. People always complain about how no one loves them. And it's always like, I can't love people. You know, I, these people don't love me. These people don't love me. And it's always about self, 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 self. There's no one loving me. Nothing loves me. And then we just hate everything because of it. And, and then we don't love people because they don't love us right. Oh, they spoke to me a weird way. I don't love them. Oh, they do this to me. I don't love them. So we think love revolves around us in some weird kind of orbit way where it's like you only love people that treat you a certain way. And that's how it works. And, and that's what we consider love to be sometimes. Then we think love can be defined as anything. We call anything love. We see, we see uh, in, in some countries, they see an 80-year-old man, they see a 9-year-old child, and they're like, that's love. They're married, right? That's the truth. Islam's okay with it. I don't know if you know that. You go to school the next day, ask your teacher about it. You might get suspended, but it'd be a good question, right? Here's the thing. Then, and then on a serious note, we see a man, and we see a man, and they kiss, and we're like, man, love wins, right? And we think that's good. That's love. Then we see, right, even the Bible talks about this, an animal and a person, like all these types of things. We can say anything's love. If we can say this is love, we can say that is love. But here's the thing. The Bible has a clear definition of what love is. And before we get into that definition of 1 Corinthians 13 again, I want to, if you can put up the, the PowerPoints real quick. We, in a, we, we have a problem with this because of our language. We don't really understand that there's different types of love. So, so Right quick, in the Bible, in, well, the Bible was written in a time where it was first century Greek and, and Jew, Jewish people and uh, Hebrew. And right here, you have three different words. There's four, but I, I focused on three because, you know, I'm just letting you know we got a book out there. You can have it, right? If you don't have money, I will pay for it for you. It's teach me how to date like a Christian. So, arrows. Filio, agape, right? These are three different types of loves. If we can go to arrows real quick. Arrows is 
to love sexually, right? To love sexually. So there is a love that is sexual, right? So when people say love wins and you have two men that are dating and kissing and all that, and then they try to say it's not sexual though, love is more than just sex, they're right in a certain degree, but love was meant to get to sex. That's the truth. Between a man and a woman, there is a sexual love. Adam didn't just look at Eve and be like, man, I'm just going to look at you forever as you're naked. But he saw her naked, and he got it on, and then they had Cain and Abel. That's literally what happened, right? And, of course, there was a fall in between and everything, and there's a lot of other stuff. But he looked at her, and he had sex with her. And that was the first time two people had sex, and it was between a man and a woman. And people are going to tell you different that, listen, it really does not matter. But this is a beautiful thing. Sex between a man and a woman is beautiful. Why is it beautiful? Well, other than there is pleasure and there is joy in it, but there produces a child. A child comes out of it. Life comes from this love. So this is not a disgusting, the world has made it seem like, hey, oh, you talking about sex? Oh, you bad, you bad. You talking about, oh, you said the S word. You in church, you talking about sex, man. No, it's not a bad thing. It's just that they have per- people have perverted it because, listen, this outside of marriage, and we're going to get to this throughout the weeks, is actually sin. So when you arrow someone like, man, do I, like, I cannot arrow Lawrence. That would be wrong. And I love Lawrence. Oh, there you are, Lawrence. I cannot arrow you. That would be weird, and he'd probably, like, rebuke me and, and get me kicked out of church. Right? If I arrows them. So here's the thing. We, there's different types of love. This is between a wife and their husband. Right? So when I get married, I will have this love. But until then, I have this love. So we can go to Filio. Filio real quick. You feel me, yo? Filio. So anybody ever heard of Philadelphia? Yes. Did you guys just put this slide up or? There it is. Boom. Clutch. Right? So, Philadelphia, what's the, the city of brotherly love? Okay. Okay, Josie. The city of brotherly love. And this is when a, this is brotherly, this is, non, this is non-sexual affection for the other person. Whether it be a woman or a man, I love you like a brother, I love you like a sister. So that's what the love we should all have with everybody that is not our wife or husband. Right? Then the next love, this is the love that is constantly used in the Bible multiple times to explain God's love and Christian love, and that's agape. If we can go to agape. Now, agape is a nice word. I actually have it tatted on me here. I'm not going to show you the tat, but here's the thing. (laughs) So agape means to love unconditionally, self-sacrificially. That's a bar. I didn't even know it was a bar, but it's a bar. Put that in the song. To love unconditionally self-sacrificially. So, and this is now where I want to lead to 1 Corinthians 13. If we can go there. Uh, Agape is the love in John 3.16. So everybody knows John 3.16. Come on, let's, let's just all repeat it. We should all have this memorized, tatted on our backs, tatted on our foreheads. Every time we wake up, we see it on the count of three. One, two, three, four, Boom, right? We all know that. We all know that. John 3, 16, the most popular verse. 
in America, right? So John 3.16 talks about love, but it's not just like your gooey, you know, uh, like seventh grade love. This isn't like, oh, he, God writes me little notes in, in the hallway, and then I find them in my locker room type love. This is not like, oh, man, you know, he holds my hand, and it, gets, it gives me butterflies in my stomach. No, this is self-sacrificial love. This is love that hurts self, and that's a big thing. You see, when, I don't know, I always bring this up, like the World War II, because I love World War II, but there was people, there was people that were not Germans that were not for the Holocaust, and they would sneak people in like Anne Frank, right? Anybody read Anne Frank before? Do they still, you guys still read books in school now? Or did they just show you like weird things? So... Here's the thing, right? There's a book called Anne Frank where a German couple takes a Jewish girl, which were being persecuted at that time, and he lets that girl's family stay in a basement with them as they hide from the Nazis. The whole thing is, right, those people, everybody ends up getting killed, but Anne Frank's father, they've been put in the concentration camps, the people who are hiding them were killed. That's a lot of pain. That's love, though. Then... A more obvious love that we all know, we see all the time, a mother's love, right? That is probably the biggest pain right there. You bear a kid for nine months, right? All that weight, just push it on your back, right? Then they're kicking you, just kicking you. you know, I don't know if that hurts. Does that hurt, Tina, when they kick you? That hurts. I didn't even know. I just always, I'm like, oh, it's kicking, you know? And they're probably like, yeah, you know? So nine months of all of that, right? Then... When they give birth, it is like the most gruesome thing ever, and I'm like, man, like if I ever saw that, I'd probably cry. Not because I feel bad, but just because it's so gruesome. I mean, they're being ripped apart for another human to squeeze its big old head out and just like, man, wow, that's crazy. And that's beautiful at the same time. But, but when you see that, you see that. Think about that. That is the greatest example, physical example of love we will ever see in our life. That is the greatest example. And it is agape love. And isn't it so crazy how what does Jesus call us to be? To be born again. He, we are being born of God. Jesus went through a lot of pain on that cross to give us new life. So think about that. That is the greatest example of love. And, and here's the thing, when we go to 1 Corinthians, uh, th- 1 Corinthians 13, if you can go there, uh, TJ, 1 Corinthians 13, I, want, I have some things I want you guys to understand, is that when we look in the first few verses, what we see is that love, without love, you're nothing. Without love, you're nothing. So think about this, guy. Some of the things Paul is saying right here, I, want, I wish I could see some of that. Like, like I, I want my faith to move mountains, you know, like, that'd be awesome. Right? I know, I know there's, there's a whole lot of debate on the interpretation of what this means, but imagine if you could move mountains based on your trust in God. That's crazy, right? Then, right, imagine if you can fathom all mysteries and, and all knowledge. Like, why is dog spelled backwards God? And you can just fathom and understand, right? No, on a serious note, you can fathom all these things. Like, what, why, why is the galaxy so huge? Why, you know, why, like, you know, I don't want to get, like, deep theological. I was going to throw some stuff out there, but... We got some Bible college students here. They're going to check me after. But no, so imagine you can fathom all these things. And then 
And then listen, he can speak in the tongues of men or of angels. He can speak in tongues. He's a Pentecostal. But still, if he has love, he has nothing. Nothing. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. Go to the next verse, please. And even if, if you can go to the next verse, guys. Even if, right, he was to give everything he has to the poor. So if he was to say, hey, listen, I got a house. I got some money. I got some Jordans. I got some hill figure on. I got everything more. I got, I'm giving it all to the poor, everything. If you got all you can give, right? Like let's say Seth right now, he's like, I'm going to give everything I have, but he does not have love. He has nothing. He can go through hardships. Someone can, remember the play with Libni where Marco shot Libni? Remember that? Remember that? See, if Libni did not have love, she gains nothing. So the whole thing is, without love, we literally are nothing. Our lives, nothing. What we do, nothing. What we accomplish, nothing. Everything without love is nothing. Next thing I want you guys to notice is, first of all, what love is. Like He begins to say, if we can go to the next verse, love is patient. right? So love is patient. Love is does not all of a sudden get frustrated when you do something wrong, right? Love isn't like, man, my brother keeps pissing me off. I'm just backhand him across the face out of a fit of rage, which can can take you out the kingdom of God. That's the truth. Love is kind. Some of us, we're like, I I tell the truth. I'm real, right? So you go up to someone, you're like, man, you ugly, and just walk off. And then the person's like crying and everything. And then someone's like, dude, why would you say that? Well, I'm real. I love him. I'm telling the love and truth. That's hard love. No, love is kind. Love is kind. Love is kind, right? Then it does not envy. Some of us, we got friends that we keep close because we are envious of them. And we say we love them, but really we're jealous of them. We're jealous how they look. We're jealous how many people like them. We're jealous of them. And some of us have had that friend. Some of us have been that friend. But love does not envy. Love does not boast. When you start looking down at people and looking up towards yourself, saying, man, I'm so much greater than Jeremiah. Look at you. I'm better than you, Jeremiah, but I still love you, though. Well, man, Jeremiah, dude, I have n- man, dude, you cannot play basketball. You cannot play football. I am better than you at sports. And then I start just going in on this man. I cannot boast in myself and say I love him. I cannot boast in them and say I have love. So love is not proud. Love does not look at itself and then all of a sudden say, look how loving I am. Right? So some people, we love others just to say, look how loving I am. Oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm feeding the homeless. Selfie. Oh, man, dude, you know, look, I just did this for God. I just did this for my friend. I'm such a good friend. I'm such a great person. Yes, I love people. Right? You're just proud of that. But that's not what love is. Love does not dishonor others. So when you go in out acting like a fool and you say you love your mom, you're don't, you don't love your mom. You don't love her. When you're, when you're going out, she doesn't know where you're at, 3 o'clock in the morning, you don't love your mom. You're dishonoring her. So love does not dishonor others. It doesn't, it doesn't gossip. It doesn't slander. It's not self-seeking. Your love, right, love does not seek the, the benefit of itself. When Jesus was on the cross, he was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to get so much money out of this, man. Like, oh, man, so many people are going to fall. Man, dude, this is dope. I'm going to get so many followers on IG. They're going to have so many Instagram pages of me. Oh, man, dude, dude, 
Peter, write the, st- write the status, man. Write the status. I need more followers. Like, or it's not like Jesus was walking around saying, you know, hey, I'm going to heal you, right? Because that's, that's what makes me feel better. He, Jesus was not helping people because it made him feel better. Love is not concerned with itself. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love don't got no attitude. Ye- love is not like rolling your eyes so much, you would have thought it's a roller coaster. It's not like that. It's not like that love is not easily angered. It's not punching the wall. It's not throwing controllers because Fortnite's, you know, garbage and broken. It's not doing that. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrong. Gosh, that hits me right here. Because how many times do we all keep records of wrongs? Well, I'll forgive you if you stop doing this. I'll love you, but man... I can't keep going on if you can keep doing this. Man, dude, like, why do you always keep doing this? Like, some of us have that thing that irritates us, right, or that we don't like, or we see something wrong in someone, and we keep a record of it. We're writing it down. Look at that. Talked over me one more time. Okay, look at that. Looked at that dude one more time. Look at that. Mm-mm. You got a record. You got a list. You got a, you got a Christmas list of how many wrongs people do. Love does not do that. Love forgives and keeps no record of wrongs. Then it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You cannot be having sex with someone that's not your wife and then be like, I'm good. I love her. That is not the truth. You cannot be, uh, you cannot be lying to someone and then saying one thing to them, meaning the other thing, because that's not the truth. Love delights in the truth. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in the truth. And it always protects. It doesn't hurt people. Love does not hurt people. Love is not concerned with being hurt, but it's concerned with not hurting others. Love always trusts. That means, listen, and that's crazy. Think about that. Love always trusts. How many people know there's some people that broke your trust? How many people know there's some people that broke your trust? Really? No one's broke your trust? I mean, man, I, you want to be real, there's probably a handful of people that have done things in my life that have broken my trust. But right here, I, I have nothing. I have no right to say I can't trust you. Love always trusts. Then love always hopes. Love always hopes. Love is not a pessimistic, you know, entity. It's not, it's not like, oh, man, things are just going to keep being bad. You're just going to, Marco, you're just going to keep being a filthy sinner. You're going to keep, you know, you're going to keep, you know, punching your dog. You're going to keep lying to your friends. You're going to keep doing this. You're never going to get any, get anywhere in life. You're not good. Just deal with it. Just deal with this. There's nothing to hope for. Love doesn't do that. Love hopes. It always looks to the best in people. And then love always perseveres. Then the next verse, love never fails. So love keeps going, keeps going. It's like a Duracell battery times infinity. Keeps going. And it doesn't stop. It perseveres. You do something wrong against love, love keeps going. You hurt love, love keeps going. You try to stop love, love keeps going because love never fails. And here's the thing. If we go to 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 13, you see, and, and, and to end this whole chapter, right, everybody, everybody understands we have faith in Jesus. We hope for his coming. But in love, we have love for God, but here's the thing, but the greatest of these is love. Yes, love, because here's the thing, love from the beginning, before the beginning, love existed. 
The Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. The Spirit loved the Son. They loved each other. God was in love with each other person. And that's the Trinity. If you need help explaining the Trinity, I can help you. But think about this. Everybody, no other religion can say their God loves because who does their God love? Before there was anything, who did that God love? See, God, the Father, was in love with God, the Son. And here's the thing. Now, when we're created, the fall, Jesus comes back. Faith, what's the point of faith if what you see is here? What you have faith in is right in front of you. What's the point of hope if now the gift has come and you've been given a new body? Jesus, we talked about this last week. Everything's here. Everything you waited for, everything is here. What's left? The greatest of these, love. So love will remain forever. So all the things that you've done, all the things you've accomplished, all the times you've been to church, everything, every nice thing you've, dis- you've said to someone, every reason why you think you're good, if there is no love, everything's going to be judged by fire and wiped away. All that remains is your love. That's it. So if you, had lo- if you were an Elevate since you were 11 years old, right? And you, you graduate, you become a tutor, become a deacon. You're like, yeah, I'm doing the thing. I'm going to SUM Bible College. But you have love, you have no love, you have nothing. If I'm able to stand here without love, I gain nothing. There's nothing to me. So here's the thing. This is the pure love of God. 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about the love of God. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. This is the love of God. This is no romantic comedy love. This is no this is us love. This is something greater. This is something that will never fail, never stop. This is the love of God. This is love. This is love. If we can go uh, quickly to John 15, 13. You see, and, and I want to, in closing, if I can have Stephanie up, we need to understand that there, you, can, you can say you love a person. You know, you can, you can say, man, I want to bring this girl to church, but you're having sex with her, and you think, listen, that's not love. You can say, man, I, lo- I love my friends so much, but you never tell them what they're doing is wrong, and if they don't stop, they go to hell. You see, this is love, no greater love. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is love, that we would lay down our life. Lay down our life. Not that we would have others lay down their life for us, but we would see the love of God and lay down our lives for others. If you guys uh, could stand up, if I have my altar workers, please. And, uh, you know, I want, I want to finish this. I want to let you guys know the, lo- the love of God, but in the way of the gospel now. Because we can, I can tell you guys, hey, listen, stop having sex. Stop looking at women lustfully. Stop being gay. Stop, like, that's what people think that will do anything. Like, first of all, no, I'm no, I'm no way to do that. I can't do that. See, I cannot change you. When I was a youth, when I was a youth, I was, ha- I was doing all types of things, watching porn, masturbation, everything, came to the altar. I was a sick pervert, and I wanted to love 
other people. I wanted to love the girlfriend I was with. I was like, hey, babe, we should go to church. But at the same time, I was planning to do things with her. And, and here's the whole thing is that my love for her was all based on myself. So the whole time I was in youth group at 13, I was thinking about how she could love me and make me feel better. But here's the thing is that that is so contrary to the love of God. As I grew older, right, I started to see, I'm like, man, people don't love other people. And I kept thinking about other people, but then I finally looked to myself when I was 17. I'm like, man, I really don't love people. Every time this person walks by, I say a nice thing to them, but deep down inside, I hate them. And I know my life would be a lot easier without them. So for me, the idea of love was always centered around myself. But think about this verse and think about the next few verses I'm going to read. If you can go to 1 John 4, 7 through 12. So as I'm letting you know this, as I'm preaching to you, as I'm just reading this scripture, think about this. Look at your heart. Look at your life. Do you have God's love? It says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from whom? From God. Love does not come from yourself. Love does not come from feelings. Love does not come from whatever your teacher says, whatever this world is saying. Love comes from God. It is defined by God. It is sent by God. It is given from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? So love is God. God is love. God is love. So think about that. When you're you're arguing, when you're getting easily angered, when you're being impatient, all these things, simply think about this. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. So God is love. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we, right, we as people who had no love, right, you go to the next verse, so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. So dear friends, God so loved us, we also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So here's the thing. God is love and he showed his love. He showed his love. He didn't just tell us about love. He didn't just think about us. He showed his love. God didn't just say things. He did something. See, this is the whole thing. We can say we love God, but if we don't love the, next per- the person next to us, we don't know God. We don't know his love. We don't know his plans. We don't know his blessings. We don't know his love. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. If you're able to look to the person next to you that's a human being and you're not able to love them, not just say you love them like every other Christian in America, but actually love them, and then something stuck in you, you're like, man, I can't love this person. It's because you're, you're thinking about how much you love God. You're not thinking about how much he loves you. You're thinking, oh, I love God this much. I've loved God this much. I don't need to preach this person. I don't need to do that. When Jesus, when he was on the cross, every hour he could have been like, God, Father, take me. Father, take me. Every hour I still love them. Every hour I still love them. Nails, 
drilled in his hands and his feet, blood dripping down his eyes. I still love them. I still love them. Every hour, every minute, every second, piercing his lungs. That gruesome example of love is how God showed his love for us. Greater than anyone could ever be loved in this room, on this earth, God showed it. To who? To those without love. We can never love God back enough the way he deserves. So you could never preach enough. TJ can never evangelize enough. There can never be enough Christian clubs. You can never not sin enough. Gosh, we can never love enough in order to gain the love of God. So this is love, not that we loved God, not that you were able to do some religious stupid crap and call it love, but that God loved us. God loved us. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you guys to think about this. Do you know the love of God? For some of us, we don't know the love of God. We are still resisting the love of God. And this is an invite for you to come and get prayer, talk with some of our altar workers, get alone with God, speak to him, talk to him, ask him, I want to know your God, show me, Lord. And for those that are, they, 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 they say they're children of God, they say they know God, but you are having a hard time loving people. Love has been a self-centered thing. I want you to come up, talk to our altar workers, receive prayer, because this is the thing. If you do not love, you do not know God. It's that serious, guys. It's that serious. This is not, this is not a, a, a suggestion that you should love your neighbor. You should love the homosexual. You should love the baby mama. You should love the drug dealer. You should love the hater. You should love everybody. You should love everyone. It's not a, a suggestion. So for those that do not know God, you can come up. And for those that are having a hard time showing the love of God, you can come up. So as I pray and Stephanie sings, just continue to pray and you can come up. But Lord God, thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for the testimony of your love that was given, Lord. Thank you, God, that you were able to save Tina, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are now able to save others in her shoes and other shoes. God, your love cannot be stopped. Your love never fails, God. I believe right now you love every person in these seats, in this building, God. No matter their past, no matter their heart right now, no matter what they're doing, you love them, God. And you desire for them to know you, Lord, and to know your love. So God, I pray that you would change them right now, that they would have an encounter, a holy encounter with your love, God. God, I pray and I ask you, Lord, please push it on their heart, Lord. Begin to go into their conscience, shake things up, show them their life and how they are missing. They are nothing without your love, God. We are nothing without your love, God. We are nothing, God. We have nothing. We have amounted to zilch. Our works are but dung. Our works are but air, ash blowing in the air. We have literally done nothing to deserve your love, God. But you, Lord, so perfect, so holy, Lord, you decided to love us, God. You decided to love us, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Jesus.